Hi, everyone. My name is Joey Fight. I'm the founder of thephysicaleducator.com and a PE pedagogy coach here in Montreal, Canada. Welcome back to the Phys Ed Show podcast. Now, just in case I haven't had a chance to tell you recently, I really appreciate you making the time to listen in. I want to thank you in advance for subscribing to this podcast. I love that we have this this means to be able to connect with one another, and I want to make sure that I keep making the most out of it. So today's episode is a bit of a different one, and one that requires a little bit of context. You see, I recently had the opportunity to listen to my friend and mentor and just straight-up hero, Mr. Artie Kamiya, give a virtual talk to a group of phys ed teachers. Now, I've been lucky enough to to get to hear Artie speak at a variety of conferences, and I'm pretty familiar with his content, although he always seems to fool me with, he does this thing where he says, okay, now put the circle on your chin, and he always messes me up with that one, so good job, Artie. Now, that said, Artie shared a story during his latest talk that I'd never heard before. He called it The Boy, The Rope, and The Truth. Now, I'm not going to steal Artie's thunder here, and besides, I would never be able to tell a story the way that Artie can. I will say, though, that the story had to do with the power that lies in a teacher's ability to to transform lives. I've recently stepped away from teaching, and I'm not going to lie, my heart misses it. Not the teaching itself, the assessment of learning or anything like that, but the relationships with the kids that I was so blessed to be able to teach. I I miss being Mr. Joey is what I'm trying to say. I always say that getting changed into my teacher clothes always felt like I was slipping on a superhero costume. It represented this transformation into this role that I got to play that involved, you know, making sure that kids felt that they are loved, that they're powerful and that they belong here in this world. So what I want to do here today is share a little bit of the story behind how I became a PE teacher the responsibility that came with that choice, and the impact I believe teachers can have on each and every life that steps into our gyms. My students would call this story time with Mr. Joey, which is, it was a thing that I would do as often as I could with my students. I would just, you know, I'd bring everybody in, I would share a story in a way that hopefully captivated their attention, and then just try to help them learn a little bit more about this world uh, through this storytelling. So why don't you go get comfy and let's dive into this story time together. The smartest thing I ever did was to decide to start working in day camps at the age of 16. At the time, I needed a summer job and working in a place that involved, you know, nine to five hours and kept my nights and weekends free. That sounded like a pretty solid deal to me. When I first got started, I worked in something called Les Terrains de Jeu, which is French for playgrounds, which was this super accessible, I think it was like $25 for the summer to register. It was a super accessible recreation program that families could sign up for in my hometown. The idea was that kids could register and then show up to one of their local parks and, you know, camp counselors would be there to lead all kinds of like fun activities and organize play and just help them make some memories throughout the summer. When I started the program, we were told that we had to select a camp name, something that would become an alter ego of sorts. Being the, you know, incredibly humble teenager that I was, I chose to go by Zeus, the god of the Olympians. I look back at that name very fondly now as it helped me create a ton of memories, but I also can't help but cringe a little just because, you know, I was just this goofy teenager thinking much more highly of himself than I should have been. (laughs) 
I remember that first day being Zeus. I was standing in the playground. You know, we had a couple of weeks of planning just to, to tr- try and prepare for the kids. And I was just standing there, just waiting for kids to show up. And once they did, it was like this, this tiny little army of minions just showing up, just waiting to rip our plans apart. I remember turning to my co-counselor. His, name, his camp name was uh, Nemo, which was much more humble than my own. And I was just matching his wide eyes with wide eyes of my own. And then immediately, despite all of the plans that we'd worked so hard to put together for what that opening day would look like, we just defaulted to playing dodgeball with the kids. It was just straight up survival mode for us as these little monsters just sought to, you know, just chew us up and spit us out. Now, over time, I started to get the hang of this working with kids business. Zeus became a thing and then... Slowly but surely, I started to earn the kids' respect. The secret was to show them that I cared. I'd sit down with them during lunch. I'd get to know them. I'd listen to their worries and fears. I tried my best to make sure that every kid left that park every day having a funny moment that they could share with their parents and families back home. I got really serious about the work too. Time and energy just started you know, getting poured into the planning and We started coming up with all these crazy ideas that would just try and make these kids experience, which for a lot of kids, it was the only one that they could afford or the only one they had access to throughout the summer, just to make that experience really special for them. So, you know, like when we were talking about having this like inter-park Quidditch league, like why not? Or taking 200 kids on a bike ride along a a canal. Um, For sure, we can make that work. Or what about, you know, working all night, like literally like just never going to sleep. And then the next day, just kids showing up as you haven't hit the bed yet. Um, Working all night to try and organize this haunted house so that we could celebrate Halloween in the middle of July. No problem. We'll do it. At the time, I just wanted to be fun and to have fun with the kids. I wanted Zeus, this character I was playing, to be someone that they would remember. And through those efforts, the relationships and the laughs... I fell in love with working with young people. Yeah, I mean, like, it was just a job, for sure. But there was something really honorable to it. There was something powerful to being able to help a kid see themselves for who they are, not who they worried others, you know, would see them as. There was magic to being able to unlock a a quiet kid's voice and to help them feel a little bit more free. During my summers at the Terranger, each week we would go on a field trip. This was subsidized by the city and was meant to be a way to help kids experience things that they may not have ever had the opportunity to experience before. So each Wednesday, a big yellow school bus would show up to the park. We'd pack all the kids in and then we'd just sing camp songs until our voices gave out until we arrived at our destination, whichever came first. My friend Matt and I would usually alternate who would lead the camp song sing-alongs on the bus. And when it wasn't my turn, what I'd do is I would try to find that quiet kid who maybe I hadn't had a lot of opportunity to talk to throughout the week and see if we could connect. One day, I sat down beside this kid named David. He'd been at camp since like the start of the week, but wasn't really into any of the games that we were playing and wasn't very involved. To be honest, he kind of just faded in with the group, so I was glad to finally have a chance to get to chat with him. After a little poking and prodding and a couple of prompts, David started telling me about his hyper-organized Lego collection, about the different containers he had for blocks of different shapes and colors and how he worked hard to try and keep everything organized. Now, if you know anything about me, I do have some OCD tendencies, so I was pretty excited to get to dork out with this fellow block management enthusiast during this ride. 
the conversation went from Legos to dragon-shaped kites to learning how to ride a bike. David just couldn't seem to get the words out fast enough, and I was amazed at all of this, all of this talking that was being packed into this little kid just waiting to be unleashed. At one point, David went kind of quiet and seemed to be weighing something in his mind. Then he looked at me and said, Do you know that my mom doesn't have any hair? Now, I'd seen David's mom before. She was young, she was pretty, she had long, dark hair. I asked him if I'd seen the wrong person, but he said, no, she wears a wig a lot. Without really thinking about it, I asked him how come she lost her hair, and he replied, in like the most serious but sweetest voice I'd ever heard up to that point in my life. He said, because her boobs hurt. Now, at the time... Lance Armstrong was a long way away from his fall from grace, and those yellow Livestrong bracelets were all the rage. I had bought one to support a family friend who had been diagnosed with breast cancer earlier that year and was wearing it as David told me this truth about his mother. Without even thinking about it, I pointed to the bracelet on my wrist and told him that it was made to help people like his mom feel strong even when they don't, that it provided this like force field that would surround them in positive energy which is why I myself always seem so happy because I was wearing this bracelet. He looked at the bracelet with the same serious eyes he'd used when he shared, uh, stared into mine and, and told me the secret about his mom. And that's when I decided to take the bracelet off and just give it to him. He took the bracelet in his hand. He put it on his wrist. He didn't really say anything. And then he just went back to quietly looking out the window. For the rest of that week, David showed up every day with the bracelet on his wrist. He joined in the games we played and sat near me as we ate our lunch in the grass. Honestly, I think that day was the day that I knew I was going to be a teacher. And no matter how hard that decision would become at times, I knew in my heart that it was the right one. Years later, I was standing in the PE office of my old junior high, mentally preparing myself for what would be my first ever lesson as a contract PE teacher. I was teaching grade eight physical education and I was teaching it in French, which was a little like I I speak French. I grew up going, I did all my schooling in the French system, so I was comfortable with it. But, you know, trying to teach in a second language is a whole different story. As I was rereading my lesson plan over and over as if it would just like suddenly morph into something magical that would guide me through this experience, um, I finally decided, you know, to just take a deep breath grab my whistle and make my way into the gym where the students were all sitting on the bench waiting for me. I stood in front of the class ready for them to just eat me alive and expected these grade eight kids to be, you know, grade eight kids. I started off by saying, all right, everyone, my name is Mr. Joey and I'll be your, and then I just got interrupted right off the bat by some kid who just like snorted or laughed. I turned and like looked at the student and I was doing my best to try and give, you know, that hard stare that you develop after like years of teaching. I was trying to like pull that move off early on on this first day of my career while at the same time just trying to like hide like the incredible amount of fear that was (laughs) that was present in my eyes. I looked at the student and the student looked right back at me and said, excuse me, sir, but your name is Zeus. And you taught me when I was at camp back when I was six. The student wasn't the only one in class. Between my work at the Terrenger and eventually the city day camps, I had been Zeus for a lot of these kids. They started bringing up all kinds of stories and memories, most of which I did not actually remember myself, if I'm being honest. I felt that fear and anxiety melting away because I knew that the hard part was already done. These kids already knew 
that I loved them. So I was just getting into teaching. And to be honest, I was a pretty crappy PE teacher back then. But being a teacher is so much more than instructional methods, assessment practices, and feedback. It's about letting kids know that there's someone in their corner. It's about helping show kids that mistakes are going to happen and how to own up and learn from the ones that you may cause. It's about helping them see that there is value to striving to be a good person, despite not always being as perfect as you'd like to be. The impact we have on the lives that intersect our own is what makes teaching one of the most powerful professions on the planet. Always striving to do our best to show kids that we care, to be kind, to help them see the value in being quote-unquote good is our only true task as educators. Now that said, it can be difficult work as the seeds that we sow can take a long time before they grow into the trees that we envision. We won't always be able to see how our presence may or may not have had an impact on the lives that we touch. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep planting and every now and then, you know, we get to see those sprouts coming through. Years after that moment in the gym with my grade 8 students, I found myself working in a beautiful little public school on the south shore of Montreal called Royal Charles School. I loved that place, and I poured my heart and my soul into the work that I did there. And one of my favorite parts of working at Royal Charles was the fact that each year, the SSIAA, which was the Athletics Association for the schools within our board, the SIA would host an elementary track and field meet in June. I had designed my grade 6 curriculum so that I could take my entire grade 6 class to the meet so that we could use it as a way of celebrating our time together before, you know, they, they graduated and moved on to middle school. Each student in class got to pick a minimum of two events that they would train for and compete in at the meet. It was made super clear that we weren't going there to, you know, win medals, but rather we were going there to just enjoy each other's company and celebrate all the different ways that our bodies can move and represent our school and just have fun. In our lessons, we had a lot of talks about the character side of sport, about what it means to be a good sports person, how to uplift our teammates, and how to respect our opponents. We talked about how sport can provide us with a way to to test ourselves, to do something that can remind us of the strength that we all have inside. I was trying to make every student realize that that they all had the potential to feel like a winner despite not making podiums or winning medals. So all of this brings us to the story of Charlotte and Camille, two students who reminded me that the teaching we do beyond the teaching we do is worth being intentional about. So Charlotte and Camille were two students in my grade 6 class who had both selected to perform the high jump at the meet. And there were two very different students. Um, Camille was like the superstar athlete in class. She was good at all the different sports and activities that we did. Um, she was a powerhouse like on our sports teams at school. And she was just an incredibly kind, positive leader in our class. And Charlotte was an incredible student in her own right. You know, she was so smart and she worked hard at everything we did in class, but didn't have the same kind of athletic ability that Camille had at the time. Now, that said, though, they both were, were hell-bent on just doing the, the high jump at the event. So, you know, when we would practice the event in class or when we'd have our after-school practices, you could both find them by the mat with the standards and the bar, just practicing, doing their very best. I remember I had, like, BAM video delay set up so they could watch their technique. And I'd go there and be working with them. Now, Charlotte um, was making a ton of progress, but 
Camille, I kind of expected her to podium at the meet. She was really, really uh, above and beyond what I was expecting her to be able to do. Um, and I was pretty sure she was going to be competitive. But they were working together. And, you know, on the final practice before the meet, I remember they were both training side by side. And I was watching Charlotte uh, uh, practice her her approach. And she was running up to the bar. And as she'd get to the bar, you know, she, she would just kind of freeze. And she did this a couple of times. I noticed her like running up, doing the whole approach. And then just at her takeoff, she would kind of like stop, look a little confused, and then kind of walk back. And finally, I saw her standing, looking at the bar, not really getting ready for her approach. And she just kind of broke down and started crying. And I just remember feeling my heart sinking because I'm like, oh, this is not the kind of experience I want to be creating for these kids. So I walked over to her and I asked her, I was like, what's going on? She's like, I don't know. I have this, this mental block that's not allowing me to like take off. And I said, okay, so maybe we can break this down and everything. And she's just really overthinking it. And I told her, that, you know, you don't have to do the high jump. I can switch you events. It won't be a big problem. I'll talk to your organizers. This isn't like the Olympics we're going to. And she said, no, I really want to do this. It's like, okay, well, if, if you're really set on doing this, let's see what we can do to get you comfortable again and get you jumping. So, you know, we lowered the bar. We talked about the technique. We walked her through it. And eventually she got back to a place where she was able to do her whole approach, take off and clear the bar. So she was feeling a lot better. And again, I checked in with her. I was like, are you sure you're up for this tomorrow? And she said, yes, absolutely. I want to do this. So tomorrow eventually became today and I got all the kids on the bus and we made our way to the school where the meet was being held. And, you know, you're at a track meet. It's such an exciting day. There's, there's kids from all kinds of schools all over the place. They're all setting up in their own parts of the stands. And then all the events are spread out across the field and the track and they start calling out the events and you have your schedule for the day. And as a coach, you're just running around like with a, like a chicken without its head, just trying to figure out, okay, who do I have to get where and at what time and all this. But the first event of the day was girls high jump. So I took my high jumpers, Charlene and Camille, and I brought them over to the event. And, you know, they're standing there with all these other kids from other schools that they don't know. And the officials are talking about the fact that, like, when your name gets called, it's your turn to jump. You can approach the bar as many times as you want. As long as you don't take off, you may repeat your approach. However, once you do take off, you only have two attempts at each height. Uh, and if you don't clear the bar in those two attempts, you're eliminated. And then we'll, after each round, we'll be raising the bar. So everybody's understanding this. And then they're saying, okay, so first first student to jump, Charlotte from Royal Charles. So here's this girl who was freezing in practice the day before getting ready. And she's the first jumper of the day. And like, even like I was the coach there, but you could just feel how like all the eyes were on her because all these other kids are nervous too, right? They're like, they're worried. They want to see what's going to happen. So, you know, Charlotte, she counts out her steps and everything. She sets herself up. She's looking at the bar. She does her approach exactly as she'd done in practice. And as she gets to the bar, she just freezes. And she instantly turns and looks at me and at the officials. And I said, it's fine. It's fine. You didn't take off. You can do it again. Come on back. So she comes back to, to her start. And she, again, goes to do her approach. She runs up to the bar. And as she's going to take off, she freezes again. And then Charlotte in front of all those kids, in front of all the eyes watching, in front of all of her classmates cheering from the stands, just breaks down and starts crying. And my heart, again, just like absolutely sinks because I started thinking like, Joey, you set this kid up in this situation. You're, you, I didn't do enough to get her mentally prepared for it. I didn't do enough to make her feel confident. 
And I just felt so bad for her. So I walk over to her, you know, and I'm trying to console her. And it's like, it's fine. You never took off. Even the officials come over. It's like, hey, you never took off. Like, you can still do your two attempts. Like, it's fine. We'll let the other girls jump. And then you can try again. But she's just absolutely heartbroken and embarrassed and just, like, weeping. And I'm, like, feeling like a schmuck. And I was like, okay, well, come on over here. And then a couple other girls go and they jump and they're clearing the bar. And then as I'm still trying to console Charlotte, Camille's name gets gets called. Now, like I said, I, I was expecting Camille to podium at this. So I wasn't too concerned about it, but I still wanted to make sure that she had my attention, that I was cheering for her, and that she knew I was there. So they set the bar, and the bar's not set very high right now because it's the opening round. And Camille sets herself up, and she runs up to the bar and jumps, and just, she could not have hit that bar any harder. Just absolutely plows into it. And I'm just standing there, and my mouth just like, drops like i'm like what is happening right now like my poor athletes are having this like total like mental uh, like collapse on game day and you know charlotte's still standing beside me sniffling and camille's walking over towards me and i don't even really know what to say because i was so like shocked that like that just happened and before i could even say anything camille looks to charlotte and says you see nobody cares if you hit the bar and then she turned around and she cleared that bar and she wound up finishing third that day out of all the girls there. And I just remember in that moment, I just had to turn around because even now, like I'm getting goosebumps just sharing the story again. My eyes just instantly welled up and I just couldn't believe that this, this young person had the awareness to realize that I'm going to be putting myself in a risky position here by using up one of my attempts. But it's worth it if it means that I can let a friend know that it's okay to fail and that she doesn't have to be scared about it. And that's what I mean when I say that sometimes we don't always see um, how those seeds are being planted and that we don't always see those trees growing. But as the students watch us, as they, as they see how we try to be, the type of person that we try to be in front of them, the the way that we make decisions, the way that we that we act, the way that we we accept their failures and their shortcomings in class, and the way that we try and just treat everyone with kindness and compassion, they pick up on these things. And those lessons last, and they're important. I know that a lot of teachers right now are having a hard time finding purpose and meaning in the work that you're doing. It can be really difficult to see how you know, in a world of dark screen Zoom lessons, how you're getting through to your students, how you're having a positive impact on their lives. A society grows great when old men and women plant seeds of trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. The work you are doing, the care you're showing, the relationships you are continuously investing back into, all of these things matter and they will have an impact on your students, whether or not you get to see it yourself. Keep believing that one day when the sun is shining once again, finally, those seeds will have taken root and their trees will start to grow. Your students may not remember what they learned in PE or that time, you know, that, I don't know, your, your internet crapped out during your Zoom lesson, but they will remember that you cared. So keep caring and keep planting. So that's it for today's story time. Once again, my name is Joey Fight from thephysicaleducator.com. Thanks so much for listening through, for subscribing to this podcast, and you know for sharing this episode with anyone you think may uh, benefit from it right now. 
Now, my wife and I will be welcoming our second baby boy into this world next week. So it might be a little while before I get to sit down and do this with you again. But that being said, I'll see you on the other side, my fellow gardeners. In the meanwhile, just keep taking care of yourself and happy teaching. <laughs>